Hey, fellowship. Good morning. I like that response. Hey, guys, I'm Pastor Tom. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Fellowship. I get to spend the next few minutes with you. I have that privilege. I'm going to invite you right now to find in your Bible or your electronic device, go ahead and find the book of Galatians chapter 6. We're just going to hang out there for a little bit. And my hope this morning is to encourage us, to, to challenge us to hang in there. You know, have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like, just you know what, I'm done. I've had it up to here, you know. I remember my mom would always say that I've had it up to here with you. You know, she didn't quit. <laughs> I'm not, and then she left, no. Um, <clears throat> but you just, you had it up to here with something. You're just fed up. You're like, I just don't know that I can go on. I don't know that I can keep going. The weight of the world are on my shoulders, and I just don't know how much more I have. So my encouragement this morning is just simply say, hang in there. You know, we have more. We have more that we give. We have more that we can produce. You know, and so, you know, there's those things in our lives that we're just ready to quit. And quitting isn't necessarily always a bad thing. Let me just draw that picture. You know, we might be ready to throw in the towel on certain things, but some things we need to quit. Okay? We may have habits or addictions that we need to let go of because they're destroying our lives. And, you know, that's a good thing to quit. It's a good thing to let go of those things and say, you know what, I'm going to be a quitter there. Or, or maybe we're caught up in trying to please everybody, you know, which is always a bad cycle. When we're trying to please everybody, usually the, the most miserable person is you when you're trying to pre please everybody. And I'm not saying, you know what, don't have a good Christian attitude, don't serve. We have to have the heart of service. It's when we're trying to please everybody that it becomes bad. And we need to quit trying to just please everybody because we can't do it. Or what about you know, fear. When, when fear gets in our way, when fear steps up and says, you know what, fear becomes greater than the task, or fear gets in the way of us accomplishing what God has put in our heart, that dream that God's put in our heart, and we see the big world out there, and we get fearful of what's happening, and so we start living in fear. I remember my kids when they were really young, they would get scared at night. You know how, how kids do, you're like trying to tuck them in, and you turn out the light, and they're like, don't turn out the light. You're like, I'm turning out the light, I'm paying the bills. And you turn off the light and you leave the room and all of a sudden it's like, Dad! And you walk back there and like, what? There's something in my closet. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> That's not how I responded. That's how I wanted to respond. But here's what I would tell my kids. I would look at my kids and say, hey, look me in the eyes. They look me in the eyes and I said, here's what I want you to remember. Not just now, but forever. And it's this. In Christ, I have no fear. I would say, look at me. And they'd look at me and say, no, I want you to say this. In Christ, I have no fear. And they're like, in Christ, I have no fear. And I said, say it again. And they'd say it again. I said, in Christ, I have no fear. In Christ, I have no fear. And I just get them chanting that. In Christ, I have no fear. I said, I want you to remember that. So next time you get scared, remember that. In Christ, I have no fear. Because sometimes fear has a, a tendency to grip us. And fear has a tendency to, you know, paralyze us and to keep us from going on. And sometimes we face stuff in our life that we just want to quit. We're done. But what about our Christian walk? What, 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 what about those things in our Christian life where we're saying, you know what, I've had it up to here. I just don't know how much more I can go on. I don't know how much more I can give. And you know what, the things that God has called me to, I just don't know if I can accomplish that. And the encouragement this morning is to say, church, hang in there. Hang in there because the best is yet to come. God is not done with us, amen? 
there's still so much he has for us, so much he wants to pour into us. And so this morning, my hope is to just sort of encourage us, encourage us not to, you know, quit a bad habit. That's not my goal. If God impresses on you, you need to quit a bad habit. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. I'd ask you to be faithful to something like that. But look, my, my goal is much more simple than that. My intentions are just to encourage us, to challenge us in our walk with Christ. Because I know too often, sometimes we face this question that says, is living the Christian life even possible or worth it? Uh, let me just say right up front, yes, it's possible, and it's definitely worth it. It's definitely worth it. No matter the cost, when we surrender our lives to Christ, what he walks us through for his outcome, it's worth it. So, so let me just break that down a little bit. As Christ followers... Those of us who have surrendered our life to Christ, we're sold out, we're growing in our relationship with him. Have you ever felt like, have you ever reached that point where you say, what is the point in going on? Why should I keep doing this? Can't someone else do it? I'm just too busy. After all, people who don't live the Christian life look like they have it all together. In fact, they sometimes look like they're even having a good time. So why should I hang in there? Why should I keep going? Here's the truth. As Christians, we're going to face obstacles to living the full life. See, John 10.10 10 says, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He says, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the fullest, to the abundance. And sometimes when we're walking through life, it's like, I don't know that this is the abundant life. I don't know that this is the full life because the weight of the world gets on our shoulders. And we're like, I just don't know if this is what he's called me to. And so, you know, the sad part is that statistics is telling us that more and more people are walking away from their faith. You know, we see people abandoning the church, and, and they're walking away from their relationship with Christ. And so what I want to do is just simply establish some baselines in our lives where we ask ourselves, how am I doing? <clears throat> am I living out my life? Am I actively growing in these areas? Or have I just simply thrown in the towel and said, there's no reason to keep going. And the first is this, our time alone with God. Are we spending time alone with God? Are we praying to him? Are we reading his word? You know, how much time do we actively spend in God's word? What's really cool here at Fellowship of the Rock is we, we encourage you to be in God's word. We even encourage you to be life journaling. And life journaling is a systematic approach to reading the Bible throughout a year. We get, you read through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once. And throughout the course of a year, you've read the whole Bible. What's really cool is that's developed conversations amongst us and in life groups and everything where people are on the same verse every day and they're saying, here's the verse I got today. Here's the scripture I got today. And here's what God said to me. So we're sharing more how God is speaking into our life because we're spending collectively more time in God's word. So how much time are you spending in God's word? Are you actively growing in your relationship with him by spending time with him in his word? Are you spending time praying to him? The second thing is this, in biblical community, how active are you in spending time with other believers? How actively, how much time are you spending in community? Are you meeting regularly with other people for the sake of growing in your relationship with Christ? Or is that something you say, you know what, I just, I'm done with that. I've given that part of my life up. And the third thing is this, is service. How much are we serving? How much am I actively serving God in some capacity? Because here's the truth. God wired you with a certain set of gifts that we need, that this body needs, that this world needs. And sometimes we say, I'll just let someone else do it. 
But yet we wonder why we're not growing our relationship when sometimes we stop reading his word and we stop gathering with other believers and we've given up the idea of serving. And then when all this happens, we say, what's the point? Why keep going? I, I think as a lot of Christians, we try to chase what I call the MTE, that mountaintop experience. That's where we, we see God move in our lives, and maybe it's when we've accepted Christ for the first time, and we're on that mountaintop. We're, we're, just, we're just jazzed up. We're like, we want the whole world to have what we have. And we start sharing with everybody. We start witnessing to our friends. We're in the grocery store. We're sharing Christ with people. We're calling people we don't know just to tell them about the love of Jesus. And pretty soon, the weight of the world starts coming in, and this mountaintop experience starts getting us down into the valleys. And we start living in the valleys. We start existing in the valleys. And before we want that mountaintop again, we want to be back up on top where it's at. But the truth is, more of life happens in the valleys than on the mountaintop. So how do we get through the valleys? How do we push through without saying, I've had enough, I'm ready to give up? Let's look at what Paul says in the book of Galatians. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, starts like this. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Let me just stop right there. They're going to leave the scripture up. God cannot be mocked. Here's the thing. God knows how you're living your life. In fact, God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows if you're here this morning and you're just walking through the motions, if you're just kind of gliding in this relationship with him, maybe you put him on the back burner, and maybe, you know, sometimes we can't even be honest with ourselves in our own relationship with Christ, but God knows where we're at. God knows our heart, and he will not be mocked. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. And here's our anchor verse. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Look, I get it. And I understand it. That pressing on gets tiring. To, to keep in the word, to keep living out this Christian life can get tiring. Especially when we see the world and all the reasons it gives us that, you know, we might want to give up. And many of these reasons are complex while others seem very simple and trivial. For example, we live in a world that is tainted by the ungodly. It's not a far-reaching thing to look at this world and understand, you know, the ungodly is really leaving their mark. But when I look at this world and I understand that right now we might have a, a, you know, a season where the ungodly is leaving this mark, I've read the back of the Bible. I've read the back of the book. And God wins. And I don't know about you, but that's enough to jazz me up to understand. God wins. This may be a battle, but God wins the war. God conquered death. He, he conquered hell. And you know what? Through his son, Jesus Christ, I have hope that no matter what this world throws at me, I have the peace and the hope that is in Jesus Christ alone. And because of that, I live out my life according to his principles and according to how he's poured into me. And, and it's when we live that out that sometimes the world likes to treat us like we're worthless, 
like our Christian values don't matter. You know, and, and so they start hurling insults at us. Say, so, you know what? Your beliefs are archaic. Your beliefs are old. That's an old religion. My God's not old. My God is still alive. My God is still powerful. My, st- my God is still working in the world today. My God is who I still serve. And no matter how worthless they say he is, I want to live my life out so that others know that he is still God. And those insults that they throw at us, sometimes they really hurt, especially when they come from our family and our friends. Another thing that, you know, gets tiring is when our passion for service cools when we see the complacency of other people. You know, we're, we're, we're in the game and we look at the sidelines of the people that won't even get in the game. We're like, look, we need you. And it gets tiring. We're like, can I keep going? And then we get exhausted by the number of people needing help. And we, we catch a view of how much there is yet to be done. And our efforts sometimes seem useless. Being fatigued causes us to grow weary and ready to quit. The legendary football coach, Vince Lombardi, said this. He says, fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Fatigue makes cowards of all of us. And, and, you know, even the greatest warrior is ready to quit when fatigue sets in. So what I want to simply do in the next few minutes is walk us through God's word. And I want him to speak into our lives for those of us that are ready to throw in the towel. To encourage us as we leave here to hang in there. See, I get it. Some of us are tired. We're tired, we need a break, we need rest, and my encouragement is that you find rest. Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So I encourage you to find rest. I also want to encourage you to keep going. I want you to keep in the game, to hang in there. And here's why. Three reasons why. The first is this. is because you were designed to hang in there. You were created. You were designed to hang in there. Take a second and think about how you were created. When God put you together in your mother's womb, he didn't design you with the idea that, you know, this one or that one would be a quitter. This one or that one would give up on what they've placed in us. No, he says, you know what, let's make them in our image. So God made us in his image. And, and, you know, God hasn't quit today. God is still active and alive and working. And so if we're made in his image, we don't have the right to just give up. We don't have the, the ability to just quit on what he's called us to do. He designed you and me to be uniquely you and me. He knew the struggles we would face. He knows what obstacles lie ahead. And he gave you his spirit to live in you and to direct you. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. And I love this. He says, look, for you are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You and I were God's masterpiece. We're his handiwork. He created us for good work, good work that God himself prepared in advance. And and when I read that, I understand this, that I can face the craziness of my life, whatever it may throw at me tomorrow, because I know that God has designed me to hang in there. 
He didn't design me to quit. He, he designed me in his handiwork for the good that he's called me to do. And see, he didn't just design me that way. He modeled it. Jesus modeled this hang in their attitude. And in fact, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good. And healing all those around the power of the devil because God was with him. See, Jesus modeled this hang in their behavior as he went around doing good. And I often wonder, you know, since Jesus was fully man, did he ever have one of those days where he just didn't want to keep pressing on? Where he just didn't want to keep going? But here's the truth. Jesus kept going on. And he kept going on all the way to the cross. See, Jesus did not give up. Jesus hung in there, or, or better yet, Jesus hung out there on the cross for you and for me. And, and in one of those moments right before he went to the cross, Jesus even asked, is there any other way? He said, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I think that sometimes what gets in the way, sometimes we want our will more than we want God's will. We walk through stuff and we say, God, why can't it be how I want it to be instead of how you want it to be? And even Jesus says, look, can it be my will? But if not, let it be your will. And I'm so thankful that Jesus hung in there. It's through his death on the cross that I get to experience grace, that we get to experience this grace that comes through Jesus Christ alone. So you and I were designed to hang in there. The second thing is this. There's, the, there's a necessity to hanging in there. There's a necessity to hanging in there. Second Thessalonians 3.13 says this. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Never tire of doing what is good. And Paul suggests that we must not get weary. And how much depends on the fact that we need to persevere and to keep going. There's a necessity to hang in there. And the necessity to hang in there comes from this. God's glory is greatly promoted when we keep going. God's glory is greatly promoted when we keep going. When we keep going, we show the world God's power through us. We're able to show the people in the world God's glory through us and through how we're allowing him to use our lives. Have you ever heard the phrase that you may be the only Jesus that somebody sees today? Imagine that. In all the context and all the interactions we go through, you may be the only Jesus somebody sees today. Which for me, that, that's kind of a scary idea because I know sometimes, especially when I'm driving, I'm probably the only one. Okay? Where that attitude just comes in, I'm like, you know what? That probably wasn't the most Christian thing I've ever done. I know. And I have to use my turn signal more often. I appreciate that. And if that was you, I apologize. But just think about our interactions. Think about what we do throughout the week. Think about what we do even throughout the day. We may be the only Jesus somebody sees. And sometimes when we're having a bad day, sometimes when we've just had enough and like, I'm done. And sometimes that bubbles out, and that attitude comes out and across to the people that we interact with, and, you know, they're like, so that's how Christians act. Well, if that's how Christians act, I don't want anything to do with it. But see, God's glory is greatly promoted 
When we keep going, when we keep living it out, you know, we have to hang in there. We're able to allow God's glory to flow through us. And the world gets to see his strength in our weaknesses. When we press on, we show how God can use us. We show show how our hope and our trust is in him alone and not in our circumstances. And we're able to show the world what the love of Christ looks like, even though we're walking through a tough time. One of my mentor pastors, this is a guy that took me under his wing when I first started in the ministry. We would, we would meet regularly and have coffee, and we'd just talk about the things in ministry. And he allowed me the opportunity to walk with him after his wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he would still meet with me, and he would still pour into me, and he would still encourage me. And I'm thinking, how can this guy be going on? Doesn't, doesn't he get it that his wife's about to die? And yet he still pours into other people. He still shows the love of Christ to other people. And I, I'll never forget that after his wife passed away, and, and Carrie, my wife, and I went to the funeral. We, we come up to the casket, and he's standing by the casket greeting people. And I'm, I'm trying to think of what to say, what words do I have to share with him in this moment that I can just encourage him, let him know he's loved. He reaches out his hand, and he pulls me in for a big hug, and then he starts ministering to Carrie and I. He starts from the overflow of his heart and just pouring into us in that moment. I'm thinking, where do you get this from? Where is this coming from? You, you, your wife has just passed away. And yet, out of the overflow, through what you're walking through, your circumstance isn't getting in the way of you ministering to us. See, he kept pouring out. He kept giving everything. And I believe that God's glory is greatly promoted when we keep going. The next thing is this. The church is powerfully encouraged when we keep going. When we have the strength to keep persevering, when we have the strength to stay involved and stay connected, the church is powerfully encouraged. Let me be clear. When I talk about the church, I'm not talking about a property. I'm talking about a people. The people who follow Christ, the church is powerfully encouraged with other believers who hang in there. The church I grew up in, the the little church I grew up in, we would do something every Every fifth Sunday evening, we would have a hymn sing and time of testimony. And this is where, you know, we pick a song from the hymnal. The hymnal is a book that used to be in the back of the pew. There were two important books in the back of every pew. There was the Bible, the Holy Bible, and the hymnal. And, you know, if you don't know what a hymnal is, look it up online. They're pretty cool, okay? You know, it's like analog version of all this, but it's on book form. And it was full of hymns that came from generation after generation of our faith. And we'd have these hymn sings in times of testimony where, you know, the, the, the music director would always pick the first hymn, which I was like, how unfair of him. But I didn't want that job. So, and we sing the first hymn, then came the awkwardness. Where he says, does anybody have something they want to share? And we get real silent in the room. That's where you knew, don't make eye contact (laughs) with the music director. So you're going through, what's the next song I want to sing? Then somebody would share. Somebody would break the eyes and say, here's what I'm walking through. 
here's what I'm going through. Here's how God has shown up. And you'd hear stories of how, you know, they didn't have the money to pay these bills, but God showed up. Or they were dealing with this health issue, and God showed up. They're struggling at work, and God showed up. And pretty soon, the people that we sit shoulder to shoulder every week started sharing how God's alive in their life. And the testimony that each person would give then encourages you to say, I want to keep pressing on. See, the testimony of the saints, the testimony of us Christians that keep persevering, keep hanging in there, encourages each other to live out our faith. That's why I believe life group is so important because it gives us that opportunity in a larger congregation to break it down where we can hear the stories of other people. We can be encouraged by the faith of other people. And when we gather, we share how God is at work in us, and we get to encourage others in their walk. Because here's why I think we need encouragement. We need encouragement because God's not done with us. See, I believe God wants to stretch us. I think God wants to, you know, totally stretch us. And so we need to open up our lives instead of closing them off. Instead of saying, I've had enough, I'm not showing up. We need to show up and allow God to work. And we should be open to new opportunities and new occasions and new, you know, objects of usefulness. God's not done with us. So we need to keep going. We need to hang in there. So our encouragement to hang in there, the third thing, our encouragement to hang in there. Our work for Christ will not be without results. You know, going back to the text, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary of doing good. For at a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. And here's what happens is we get tired out and we get beat up and our emotions then begin to lie to us. Look, I just don't know if I can go on. What's the use? Am I even making any impact? Am I even having any significant, you know, impact in this world? We get tired, we get hurt, and we look for excuses to quit because we don't always see how God is at work. But the truth is God is at work. And he says right here, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There is a time for harvest. There is a time for harvest. The sowing goes on all through our lives. And we must not grow disheartened because the seasons seem long. We often get caught up in looking for the harvest in our time. And perhaps the harvest will only be recognized when we get to heaven. You know, if you don't find the results of the Christian service here on earth, we certainly will find them in heaven. James 5, 7 says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield the valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rain. The harvest will come. It will come partly in this world. We will see some of the blessings of God. We'll see a limited blessing of God in our lives. But our full reward, our full reward, however, will not be known until the time we meet Jesus face to face. The true nature and the extent of our labor will be revealed to us in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, you may not know this about me, 
but I'm just going to share some of my heart for a minute. I'm a huge Notre Dame football fan. And I believe deep down inside that there is no other college team that you all should follow <laughs> than the University of Notre Dame. I'm convinced in my spirit. You know, you all will see the light one day. I'm praying for you. But what's funny, I used to not like the University of Notre Dame. Then something happened. I don't know what it was. Now I'm like a giant Notre Dame weirdo. Okay, I'm just going to call it what it is. So everything Notre Dame I love. I love watching Notre Dame football. I've been in Notre Dame football games, seen them live. I've, I've taken my son to tour the campuses. We've lived out in Notre Dame, and, and still today, living here in Pueblo, Colorado, I get my, you know, my geek on about Notre Dame. And a few years back, there was a movie made about football and the University of Notre Dame. By a few years, I mean back in 1993. At my age, that's a few years. And the name was, uh, the movie was Rudy. And it was about a young man by the name of Rudy Rudiger, who had come from a family of hardworking individuals, middle-class family, that loved Notre Dame. In fact, it depicts the family sitting around the TV to watch every Notre Dame, Notre Dame football game. You know, he had the dream to go one day and play at Notre Dame, but he didn't have the size or the grades or the talent. And so he followed his, parent, his dad and his brothers and went to work in the steel mill. After his 22nd birthday, Rudy's best friend Pete was killed in an accident. And Pete was the only one that believed in his dream. And so Rudy decided at this point, I need to go and live this out. It's now or never. And so he packs everything and he moves to South Bend. And he shows up on the campus of Notre Dame to enroll. But he didn't have the grades. He didn't have the ability to get in. So being encouraged by one of the priests, they said, you know what, why don't you enroll in Holy Cross and do everything you can. So he, he went to Holy Cross. He put in the time at Holy Cross. Between that and the help of a friend who helped him tutor him, help him get over past, uh, past a reading disorder he had, he got the grades to finally get accepted to Notre Dame. So Rudy shows up at Notre Dame, and he's a walk-on for the football team. They tell him, look, you're going to be nothing but a tackling dummy. We can't guarantee you're ever going to play. But Rudy had this dream to one day walk through the tunnel and play for Notre Dame. And the years come, and the years go, and he never gets the chance. He never gets on the roster to run through the tunnel. And finally, we're coming up to the last game of the season, his senior year. He's about to graduate, and they post the roster, and Rudy's name, once again, is not on the list. To which he says, I'm done. I've had it. I quit. I'm throwing in the towel. Enough is enough. I'm tired of being beat up. I'm tired of being bruised. I'm tired of just being pushed around for no reward. Rudy's job was to work on the grounds crew at the football field, and his boss's name was Fortune, and he went to tell Fortune, I'm done, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. And I love the little pep talk that, that Fortune gives Rudy. He looks at him square in the eye, and he says, look, you're five foot and nothing. You're a hundred and nothing. And you barely have a speck of athletic ability, and you hung in there with the best college football players in the land for two years. And you're going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this life, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody but yourself. And after what you've been through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. He says, now go on back. And it's one of those moments where you see the light come on, and Rudy's like, I, I, I'm giving up my dream. 
Regardless of how beat up I am, regardless how bruised I am, I need to get back in the game. And then it goes to the scene. And they see him walking out on the field, and there's that slow Hollywood clap that happens. You know, and he just walks out, and the dramatics start building up. And it's one of those moments where every guy's like, what can I do in life to get this slow Hollywood clap happen? And you're like, yes. You know, he didn't give up. He went back out on the practice field. And what happened is every player then turns in their jersey and says, I want Rudy to dress for me. I want Rudy to dress for me. I want Rudy to dress for me. And the coach finally gives in and says, okay, you're dressing. Calls his parents and says, get, some, get mom and dad there. I'm running through the tunnel. I'm going to be in the game. And so mom and dad show up. He runs through the tunnel. He's on the sideline of the game. And then he's reminded that being on the sideline just isn't enough. One of the players says, you know what? This means nothing unless you play at least one play. Unless you get in the play and play one play, all this hard work means nothing. And they realize this. So they, they change some plays up and they, they get it to where there's the opportunity to put Rudy in the game. And all of a sudden, one of the players starts the chant. Which is the worst time to go get popcorn. But all of a sudden, the one player all of a sudden starts going, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. And before long, Everyone on the sidelines chanting, Rudy, Rudy. And the crowd starts going, Rudy, Rudy. And it's that moment where you wish your name was Rudy, you know. <clears throat> and here's the truth. In that movie, most men, they won't admit it, still today, had tears in their eyes. I'm going, man, if only I could be called into the game like that. If only somebody would say, hey, get in the game. I know you're bruised. I know you're beat up. I know you're, you've given your all, but we're calling you into the game. Don't give up. Don't quit. What's standing in your way? What is, it, is the roadblock that you're saying, you know what, I'm taking my focus off of God. He's called us to do some amazing things. Where does God want to use us? And just using some, some poetic liberty here, I picture God himself calling each one of us to get into the game. He, he doesn't want us to walk away. He knows how tired we can be and how beat up we may be, yet he chants our name. And soon the angels join him, and there's this heavenly chant of your name saying, get in the game. All of heaven is chanting for us to get off the sidelines and into the game. So let us not become weary of doing good. For at a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I ask you to bow your heads with me.